This is Corolla Digital. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who hates earthquakes. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know, I say it every week because I mean it every week. That music gets better every week. I love that band. I love that orchestra, of course, the Daniel Quantz Orchestra, and the Allison Rosen Dancers, featuring boy tenor Claude Hill, asking the musical question, If moonlight is just light reflected from the sun, then aren't vampires in danger at night, too? Well, there's so much in those credits. Right off the bat, I have to say that uh, Colonel Jeff and I decided... And it was an easy thought, it was an easy decision that the uh, Daniel Quantz should have the orchestra and Alison Rosen should have the dancers this week because you know Alison Rosen from Adam Carolla's show and she and Daniel just got married over the weekend, just a couple of days ago. And that's pretty neat. You know, it made me smile really broadly because... I'm sorry, if you don't smile when you hear someone just got married, I think you're missing the point of life, in a way. Or you're smarter than we are. Either, either one of those two. Or you're way ahead of things. But but seriously, that's Allison. I, I, I love Allison Rosen, and I'm glad she and her boyfriend slash fiancé slash husband just became a married couple. So congratulations, and all the blessings to Allison and Daniel. And now, though, to the meat of the affair, boy tenor Claude Call asking the musical question, if moonlight is just light reflected from the sun, then aren't vampires in danger at night, too? Very good question. First of all, if they are in danger at night, too. And let's not even talk about whether vampires exist, okay? Because then there's nothing to talk about if they don't exist. But the the point, the point is that if vampires are, in fact, in danger at night, too, because moonlight is really just light reflected from the sun on the other side of our world, which it is, that's all true, then aren't the vampires in danger at night, too? If they are and I think they are, I still don't want to be the one who tells the vampire, you know, you're in a lot of trouble now. Because if you do, let's say you're walking back to your hotel, you're on the road. Why did I make it on the road in a hotel? Well, I see. That's my life. But if you're walking back to the hotel and it's pitch black in the middle of the night, all the vampire time, and a vampire just comes shooting up, drops down, whatever the vampires really do, come across at about a 1,000 miles an hour, stop, and then smile with a bad smile, you know, with a bad, you know, bad pasty look, and he just grabs a hold of you, and he opens his mouth, 
and he's about to sink his chompers into your neck, and you say, Hold on, buddy. I've got some news for you. This moonlight we're both standing in, it turns out, is just reflected light from the sun. The sun, which is on the other side of our world now, because of all the orbiting. The sun, though, and if this is really just reflected sunlight, then aren't you in danger at night, too? Aren't you unhappy now, too? Can't you be killed, too, because... The light you're standing in is actually reflected sunlight. And uh, my point was that just to say all that, by the time you finish it, even if he is in danger, well, you're already out of blood. You've been drained during that whole speech you were making. And I think it's possible that the vampire himself, I know it could be herself too, I suppose, but... Well, let's face it, the most frightening vampires are the ones that are the himself. Because you could have, could be a gorgeous actress who's playing a really evil character, but you, most men, starting with me, would still look at the gorgeous actress and say, I bet if I could just talk to her or kiss her once, a regular kiss, I could bring her around and, you know, show her how good it is to be nice. But if that's at that point, you know what, if 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 it's a vampire, uh, I think the vampire could just say, yes, we are in danger from the reflected sunlight. Yes, it could kill us, too. Yes, I should be in tremendous pain right now and dissolving and melting. There's only one thing, in fact, that can cure all that and can take it away and protect me. And that one thing is called human blood. That's why we drink human blood. It's tasty, too. We love it. But the main reason is it lets us survive the reflected sunlight. Now, you yourself are about to collapse because I've just drained all of your blood. So, good thinking. Tell your friend there, Claude Hill, that he came up with a, with a good thought, but it hasn't saved your life. It didn't even save you another 30 seconds on it. Because that's the way it goes when you're dealing with a vampire. So, in answer to Claude's question, aren't vampires in danger at night, too? Probably not. I don't think so. And you're in danger at night, as always, from vampires. Now, do vampires exist like that? I don't think so. It's a great story. It's a great taking of a folktale and the seed of that and making it grow and making, oh, how wonderful all those terrible stories are. And uh, I think that Gary Oldman movie about uh, Dracula, was that a Scorsese movie? Everybody just looked, looked at both Chris and Jeff just looked over and said, hmm. In any case, you know the movie I mean. And uh, it's wonderful storytelling. And all vampire movies are. But I don't think they're in danger at night, too. Anyway, good question, Claude. And all the blessings to Allison and Daniel on their wedding. And by... Are you ready for this now? DollarShaveClub.com. That's right, DollarShaveClub.com. And I have to tell you, folks, 
These guys are going great guns here now. What's more painful, they would like to know, shaving with a crusty old blade or shelling out 25 bucks for a pack of new ones? Don't make that choice. This is their instructions here. Don't make that choice. Join Dollar Shave Club for a couple of bucks a month. DollarShaveClub.com will ship amazing quality blades and other cool bathroom stuff right to your door. They send you a lot of cool bathroom stuff, see? Now, the magazines, you have to take care of that. That's not their business. The other cool bathroom stuff. Oh, boy, and Dollar Shave Club blades are just as good as the big boys, but they're a fraction of the price. Not an everyday shaver, they want to know. Join the club and opt for delivery every other month. Well, they've got that covered, I guess. With Dollar Shave Club, though, folks, you can afford to treat yourself to, to a fresh blade every week, and nothing feels better than that. Well, certainly not in the world of shaving. <laughs> as far as shaving goes, that's as good as you're ever going to feel. And that's the truth. So stop trudging to the store for overpriced blades and stop cutting up your face by squeezing too many shaves out of that last blade in the pack. Join Dollar Shave Club. And if you're in the movie and TV business like me, as I've mentioned before, stop forcing the makeup artists on whatever you're working to look down at you in the morning as you come in and say to you something like, what are you doing to your face? You know, you're going to be on a huge screen. You don't want to look like, well, a vampire victim. But the truth is they've got more than razors, too, at dollarshaveclub.com. You got to try their Dr. Carver's Easy Shave Butter. The best thing you can put on your face before shaving it. They, they've also got their One Wipe Charlie's, the peppermint-infused butt wipes for men. I don't know about you, but I don't believe I could write that sentence, and yet I've just said it. But they've got all sorts of things. That, can, the, can you imagine that? The peppermint-infused butt wipes. You should buy that just to be able to say it when it arrives. Whew. I don't know what peppermint does to add to that, by the way. But I'll bet it does something good. Now, here's the, th here's the thing with them. Join me, everyone, at this week with Larry Miller and the hundreds of thousands of guys who have upgraded to the smarter way to shave. Shave time. Shave money. Join dollarshaveclub.com. That's dollarshaveclub.com. And they sent me a beautiful box of their first Dollar Shave Club stuff. It looks great. Now, I won't lie to you. Not about this anyway. I haven't I haven't used it yet. It looks terrific. And I was just on the road for four days, five days, and I came back. But I'm telling you, I'm going to get to it because Colonel Jeff has told me we have another shipment on the way. So thanks to Dollar Shave Club. Thanks to you guys. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Amazon.com. As long as you're going on and calling other companies and buying all sorts of things you've always wanted, go to Dollar Shave Club and go to Amazon.com. Go to Amazon 
and on your on your laptop, on your iPhone, on your iPad, whatever you have, go to Amazon and make yourself happy by seeing and ordering everything they have, right? Wrong! You don't! Stop that right there! Get your get your hand off that! Take your hand off that! That one was a little too close. They almost went there. They almost all went there. You don't. What you do is you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon. You click on our banner that says Amazon, and then slide your loafers off, lie down in your big lazy boy chair, and rock it back. Boy, that sounds good now. I don't know about you. And what you do is relax, because once you hit Amazon on our website, we'll do the work. Dr. Chris, Colonel Jeff, and I immediately, doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night, we wake up, we get out, we get together, and we come over here to the studio to get you onto Amazon. And once you do that, well, then you'll be happy. Order anything you want, anything you can imagine, and you'll be happy. And Amazon will be happy because they get to send you all these things. And we'll be happy here at This Week with Larry Miller, not only because we've done a good deed and earned our gold star for the day, but because we get a percentage from Amazon of whatever you order, which we're going to put, as most of you know, to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner preceded by big fancy cocktails. Two, maybe three of them. So that's the point. We love Dollar Shave Club and we love Amazon. Which leads me into, that's right, my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. What a good gift that is to pass along to you. What a good gift that is when a friend passes it along to me and I can pass it along to you. I was signing my tax forms at my accountant's office this morning. There's another heck of a sentence to say, by the way. But I was signing my tax forms, and uh, he's a great guy. This is Marty Fox, whose uncle, I have mentioned before, whose uncle in real life was Larry Fine from the Three Stooges. What a nice family that was to have, to have him come to your house for every Thanksgiving with a pretty beautiful blonde chorus girl on his arm and those three Stooges suits that, you know, were always just an inch too long past the thumb. But, and the jokes he told, the people just loved him. The whole family loved him. And Marty said to me today, so uh, do you have a joke of the week you're going to tell when you do the show this afternoon? And I said, I don't have it yet. But I know Colonel Jeff and I, and sometimes Dr. Chris has one, and Colonel Jeff and I are willing to go to the Internet and find one right now. And he said, here's one you may like. And you know what? I did like it, and I wanted to bring it right to you. And here it is. It's a Myron Cohn joke. If you don't know who Myron Cohn is, and I say is even though he's passed on, he will live forever as a great joke teller, a great storyteller. What a craftsman. What a pro. Myron Cohn just burnt the world down with joke-telling. He was so good at it. 
when I was working in the Cleveland Comedy Club on the road for the week, I, on Sunday afternoon, took an employee of the club, a young woman who was very beautiful, and uh, I said to her, let's go see Myron Cohn, who was at a circular theater there, and in between shows, we knocked on his dressing room door, and he opened the door with a big smile and said hello, and I said, well, while I said what you said, Mr. Cohn, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm a comedian too, and we saw, and I introduced who I was with, and I said, we saw your show, and I just wanted to say, and he brought us in in such a gracious way, such an elegant and formal and polite way. And this is in between shows, and I can tell you if you're a comic, in between shows, he's got the bathrobe on, he's got the suit off, it's hanging up, and it's steaming so it can look perfect for the next show. He's got the shoes and the socks, the socks go above the calf right to the knee, he's still got those on, so he's got the bathrobe on, the shoes and the socks, and that's all you need to know. And he was so sweet, though, and he sat us down, and he sat down, and he said, you have a show? And I said, yeah, well, you want to show at the club? And uh, he said, uh, well, I've got one show left. And it was just perfect, and I had a chance to see that smiling face. It's sort of like being a prince of a small country, and you get to meet the king of England or something like that. And I loved it. And so did the young woman I was with. And the point is, this is a great Myron Cone joke. No one told jokes better than him. No one could paint pictures better than him. So this is a Myron Cone joke through Marty Fox, the nephew of Larry Fine, to me. So it's got a pretty good comedy pedigree. And here it is. Man comes home from work, he's 55 or 60 years old, and it's a Wednesday evening, and he's a little tired, and he comes home, he gets into his house there, and he calls to his wife there, Becky, Becky, Beck, Becky, and there's no answer, and he goes, uh, sticks his head around, there's nothing on the dining room table. He goes into their bedroom, there's his wife, Becky, completely naked on the bed, doesn't move a muscle naked on the bed and he kind of runs over becky is you all right what's what's wrong honey what are you okay and she's doesn't even move she's still just staring at the ceiling and she says i don't have any clothes to wear i just don't have any clothes and he says honey becky i i you know what you, you you do? You have a lot of great clothes. There's so many. And he runs over to her closet and opens the two closet doors there. And he says, now, Becky, honey, look, this is, first of all, here's your green dress. Here's your blue dress. Here's your red dress. Oh, hiya, Sam. Here's your gray dress. Here's your plaid dress. <laughs> I thought that was a terrific joke. And it's also built the right way. He doesn't say, she doesn't move. She just says, this is how I'm going to play it. She doesn't say, uh-oh, you came home too early. And it's it's perfect for the neighbor, good neighbor Sam. That was a movie, wasn't it? But what a great, I, I told Marty at the time, that name Sam is perfect for this joke. It's just about, uh-oh, hiya, Sam. It's just perfect. That's your neighbor Sam. He's got to be naked too, doesn't he?
But I thought that was terrific, and I hope you do too. And I hope you enjoy telling that to your friends. And you can tell them that was from Myron Cohn to Marty Fox, Larry Fine's nephew, to me, and you heard it on This Week with Larry Miller. And that leads us to my second favorite part of the show, which is the Poetry Corner. Yes, that's right, the Poetry Corner. The Corner of Poetry. And it teaches us, once again, just sticking our toe into the little pool there that's all filled with poetry water. You know what? It always feels good because a real artist, a good writer, a great poet can really teach us things about life, whether no matter what he or she wants to talk about, the form of poetry and the limitations and the and the freedoms of that really help teach us what the poet wants us to know. And uh, this is a pretty good poet you would know whose name is Henry David Thoreau. And this poem is called Friendship. I think a while of love, and while I think, love is to me a world, soul, meat, and sweetest drink, and close connecting link between heaven and earth. I only know it is, not how or why, my greatest happiness, however hard I try, not if I were to die, can I explain. I fain would ask my friend how it can be, but when the time arrives, then love is more lovely than anything to me, and so I'm dumb. For if the truth were known, love cannot speak, but only thinks and does. Though surely out twill leak, without the help of Greek or any tongue. A man may love the truth and practice it. Beauty he may admire, and goodness not omit, as much as may be fit to reverence. But only when these three together meet, as they always incline and make one soul the seat and favorite retreat of loveliness, when under kindred shape like loves and hates and a kindred nature proclaim us to be mates, exposed to equal fates eternally, and each may other help and service do, drawing love's hands more tight, service he ne'er shall rule, while one and one make two, and two are one. In such case only doth man fully prove, fully as man can do, what power there is in love, his inmost soul to moved resistlessly. Two sturdy oaks, I mean, which side by side withstand the winter's storm, and spite of wind and tide, grow up the meadow's pride, for both are strong. Above them they barely touch, but undermined, down to their deepest source, admiring you shall find, their roots are intertwined inseparably. Now, isn't that nice? That's 
Thoreau's look at not only love, but the friendship we have with it, and what we say, the friendship we have with ourselves and with the one we love. It's good. It's good work. Thoreau, and the title is Friendship. Which leads us now to my third favorite section of the show, the magic movie moment. This was fun. This is a movie I've seen 20 or 30 times. And that's the point, as you know, of a magic movie moment. That it has sections, it has parts, it has even one line, it has a performance, it has a, it has a direction, it has something that moves you. And moves you in a magical way. It becomes a magic movie moment. And I saw one yesterday. A movie I think is terrific. It's from 1939, and it's called Jesse James, starring Tyrone Power, Henry Fonda, Jane Darwell, John Carradine. Oh, Lord, what a cast this movie has. And there's so much in it. And and George Brent, in fact, oh, Lord, what a cast this is. But what makes this movie magical to me and what makes the moment magical to me is there was a big fight between the head of the studio at the time and, oh, the makers of the movie and the producer and the director and the writers because the head of the studio didn't want Jesse James killed. As you know, a lot of times Hollywood movies change the facts here and there and just make it what they think is a better story. And, uh, I mean, I think JFK was a good movie with Kevin Costner and and uh, directed by Oliver Stone. But, yeah, you know, you have to believe that there were about 800 people out there all involved in the Kennedy assassination, and no one ever told anything about it. Well, okay, if that's, if that's the way you're going to buy it, fine with me. But here, folks... With Jesse James, they told this is the way it was written up in the 1870s that these two veterans, Jesse and Frank James, these two brothers had come home and there were many newspaper articles written that the local railroad company in with all the companies that were going to buy up that land and whether whether it's for logging or farming or anything, they were just going to take it all away from the folks who lived there by just a dollar an acre. And the, the the story is that the railroad company sent an agent, uh, and holy mackerel, and that was Brian Donlevy, and he, in effect, killed Jesse James and Frank James' mother. That's the great Jane Darwell. And... That's probably not something you want to do. If you have, they actually have a part in that in the movie. The editor of the newspaper leans over her body, and he, and he says, "Oh, I'm sorry." And uh, Don Levy's looking down on it, and he says, "I'm sorry too." And he's the one who did it. And he said, "I'm sorry too." And the editor looks up, a little puzzled, and says, "Oh no, I'm sorry. I you misunderstood me. I wasn't saying I'm sorry to her." Because she's gone. She's in the next world. She's fine. I'm saying I'm sorry to you for what you've done. Because everybody knew, and you knew, and you know this, and I know this, 
It's probably the thing you want to do to get good luck coming your way is probably not kill Jesse James' mother. It's probably not. Jesse and Frank weren't the type of guys who would say, well, what the heck? Can't change it now. They were probably going to do that, but after you had been skinned. In any case, though, this is a great movie, and it's the story of how they grew to become then robbers of trains and shaping up a gang of folks, of uh, colleagues there, and they were they were very brave, and, uh, well, there were lives taken, too. And it, this, the story, as you know, it winds up being that Jesse James is going to be killed, the way you know the story, the way I know the story, the truth of the story, the facts of the case. And Jesse has been terribly wounded, and his wife at the time, Z, has says to him, and they have a little son who's five years old, Jesse just hasn't seen. He's been on the run so much. And she winds up being at their little house where their names are changed, and she knew he would find his way back. She heals him back to health, and then he sees his son, and they have a good, honest, well, movie conversation. She said, you know what? If we could just get back to the dream we had. He says, you mean to go to California? And she says, yes. That's what they wanted, even in well, whatever that was, 1880 or something, to go to California and get out from under all the people who were chasing him and just to start a new life. And they do that. They, they, they say, that's what we're going to do. Jesse says to her, you know what? I'm I'm with you now. And he really is. He thinks hard about it. And he says, I'm with you now and with our boy. And that's the point of life for us. We'll get to California. She's very happy. And uh, uh, he goes downstairs. There's a knock on the door. And it's the Ford brothers. John Carradine plays Bob Ford. And uh, his brother Charlie is there. And they have a message from Frank from Jesse's brother Frank, uh, who was also underground too, and he was hiding out. And they said, uh, Frank has a job, and he wants you in on it. And he said, this is a great job, and uh, we can split all the money, and you can have a couple of thousand dollars from it. And Tyrone Power, as Jesse James, you can see, is thinking about that. He, he, he has no money at all at this point, zero. And he's thinking, boy, a trip to California sure would be easier with a couple of thousand dollars, and they say, good, you come with us, we'll do this, and then you can go on your way. And at that point, his wife upstairs, Z, can't hear them talking, but she knows what this is about, and she can just tell, and she calls him Jesse, and he comes up upstairs, and they hug, and, well, he agrees. She doesn't put any, anything on him. She doesn't talk him into it. But he realizes, he thinks, he looks at her and smiles and says, you know what, we're going today to California. We'll take the afternoon train and get out of here. How does that sound? And she lights up, and she's so happy, and he's happy. And you know what, that's a good moment. In fact, it's a great moment, but it's not the magic moment I was talking about. It's really moving that the character makes the right choice. 
that the character says it's time to end all this and move on. And he goes downstairs and says that to Bob and Charlie. He says, well, fellas, tell Frank he'll have to do this one without me. And they they say, well, what's he going to say? You know what? That's his problem. And just it's simply done, but very meaningfully done. And he says, all right. And he walks him to the door and says, take care now. Good luck out there. And his wife comes downstairs. It's it's a big relief. They're back alone in the house again with the boy, with the child. And they hug again. And she says, all right, let's pack. And he says, yes, let's pack. Let's get what, what would you like from down here? She says, I'll make sure we'll take this furniture with that. We'll tell Pinky to move this stuff and we'll do that. And then she points up to that handmade sign that says, home sweet home. That's hanging on the wall. She says, oh, take that. We'll take that with us. And uh, she goes upstairs, and he, as you probably know the story, and this is the way it happened, and he reaches up for that sign, and he can't quite get it off, and there's a chair underneath it, and he steps up onto the chair and starts to get it off of that hook, and just as he's up there with his back facing the front door, we see quietly the front door opens again on its own, And there's John Carradine as Bob Ford, and he's got his gun out, and his hand is shaking, and the gun is shaking, and he puts the other hand up underneath it to try and steady it, and he does what he wants to do. He kills Jesse James right there. He shoots him in the back, right in the center of the back, and that bullet comes out the front and goes right through his heart, And he darts out and closes the door, and Jesse James falls down to the floor, and he's dead. And his wife, Z, comes down, and she's crying, and she holds him. And there's a last scene that's terrific, and I don't need to tell you about the whole of the movie, but that's the magic movie moment for me, that a character who's made this kind of journey into the world of crime, into the world of questioning his morals and everyone around him, and comes out the other side finally making the right choice. He says, I'm going to leave it all behind. The only thing I really need is the woman I love, my wife, and the child I love, my son. And you know what? Tell Frank I can't make it. And goes upstairs and says, Honey, We're going to take that afternoon train. And what happens then is what sometimes happens in life when things don't go exactly right. But you know what? That's what made it a magic movie moment to me. And Colonel Jeff said that uh, one of the themes of the movie is actually amazingly portrayed in the action of the movie that when she says to him at one point, you know, you can't turn your back on your friends and you've got to be good to them. And uh, But oddly enough, what takes him out of life to the next life and to his judgment is he both literally and figuratively turned his back on his friends, the Ford brothers, and on his brother, and that's what took him down. That's what gave them the idea and the chance to shoot Jesse James in the back. And that's what makes it a magic movie moment to me, what this character finally does. And, well, as you know, 
The name Jesse James has been used again and again by characters who, well, they, they're dancers or they ride motorcycles or they do whatever they do. But nothing can be like that fellow and the choices he made, the real Jesse James. And, well, you know what, folks? I thought about this because we had another earthquake this morning here in Southern California. Maybe you've heard about it. It was a pretty big one. I was getting up. It was 6.26 a.m., and I was already up. I was getting up. I got out of bed at about, oh, just a a minute or so before that, and I was going to get the boys up at 6.30 and get them ready for school with another incredible breakfast that I make. And as soon as I got up and I took some gym shorts out of the dresser, and put them on, and as soon as I did that, just a couple of seconds out of after getting out of bed, I felt what everyone in Southern California felt, which is an earthquake start. Not just an earthquake, a big earthquake. Not just a big one, a very big one. In number, well, I guess it wasn't one of those world-shaking wave quakes for 6.1 or 7.1, But this one wound up being, I think it's almost 5. It was just under 4.8 or 4.9. But whatever it is, I can tell you there's nothing like it. And it's not a good thing. You're not happy about it. When you feel suddenly you hear a rumbling and a rattling and everything starts to shake. And it's not good for the dresser to shake and for things to fall off it. And my wife, God bless her, who's... Well, the bravest woman I know, and she just doesn't like earthquakes while she's sleeping. And she shook awake and not screaming, but she she was she was afraid. I would be too if I were sleeping. You would be too. And I went over there and I pointed at her and started laughing. No, I'm kidding. I leaned over the bed. Just wanted to see if you were still listening. But I leaned over the bed and said, all right. It's all right. It's all right. We're here. We're fine. It's all right. And she got out of bed sort of shaky. Well, anyone would be. And we turned all the lights on. And then we went in to look at the boys. And we woke the first one up. But he was already up because of the quake. And we woke the second one up, our older boy. And uh, same thing. He was already up. And I said, "Uh, are you up? And my wife and I were both looking at him, and he just smiled and said, Boy, there's a new kind of alarm clock. And I said, You know what? You're exactly right. That's a new kind of alarm clock, but that'll sure get you out of bed in the morning, won't it? And thank God we were fine. I don't know if anyone's been hurt from it in the whole area there, but it was not a small one. It was a big one, and it reminds you. That's one thing you don't really need. We got them out of the house, and that's fine. The heat has an automatic off switch that turns off the stove and whatever uses, well, gas like that for, for, for the heating and for, and for cooking. And uh, that's when I showered up and went over to my accountant, Marty Fox, and had him tell me that good joke I told you. But it makes you think, folks. It reminds you, and nothing else does, 
when something happens that you don't want to happen, folks, it's good to remember it, but you'll never know that feeling. If I'm speaking to all these other folks who listen right now, to all of you, and if you've never been through an earthquake, sometimes it happens, you know, where there's a flood in an area, then there's a flood every two years or five years or seven years. And a lot of us see the folks living there and think, why don't you just move? Why don't you just get off of that riverbank? Why don't you just stop living where you are? It's not that simple. That's where they live, and they just hope not to be ruined or hurt or killed by it. Well, I can tell you something else. It's the same with earthquakes. You, this is where we live. We're in show business, and you know what? I just sure hope we don't get another one for a long, long time. And I just sure hope that when we do, if we do, it's not worse than the one today. And all that happens is we get a little scared. It makes you think of good things. It makes you think of how happy you are that it didn't just crumble you with the house or with someone else's house. And I can tell you right now, You'll remember all the things you already know that I know that others don't, that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who loves you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's the truth. Good luck with all sorts of earthquakes, and we'll see you here next week. <laughs>